Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Each week, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Matt Robinson, or another member of the Bethlehem team. We also host a conversation every week where we unpack different facets of Sunday's message. We're so excited about this message, and we hope it's a blessing to you. Let's jump in. Honestly, this book, uh, it's been very good, and um, it's just a different perspective. And what I'm going to say through this series, it's nothing new, right? And I've, I've always cautioned, cautioned you, uh, if, if I ever say I have something new for you, bless you, uh, you know, run, you know, because there's nothing new under the sun, and, and this letter is an old letter. It's been around a long time, probably AD 57. Um, and so consider that, that we're reading a letter that was written to a specific group of people, uh, and it's been around a long time. It's been analyzed by a lot of people, uh, and it continues to be um, something that uh, is a point of contention for the church. Um, but what I liked about this book in this perspective um, is that he says, you ever, um, you ever seen something that just kind of like gets categorized a certain way? And then it just lives and stays there. And because it got labeled that way, it never changes. And I thought to myself, that happens with us sometimes. You know, maybe you're not as hard on on the inside as you are portraying to people. But maybe you got labeled that way as a kid. And you've spent your whole life trying to, like, change the stigma of how people perceive you or think about you. And you're like, that's really not me, but I have to maintain that, right? That's kind of what's happened with the book of Romans. You know, it's, it's gotten a certain perspective or, or a certain rap from a certain group of people, and everybody's just like, oh, I don't want to, like, I don't really want to get into that. Um, but really, it's not like that. It was really a, a, a letter to a specific church, churches, five, probably five house churches, what we're seeing, and it had a specific purpose. And just because there are theologians out there arguing about what chapters 7, 8, and 9 mean doesn't mean that there's not something really rich for us in our church to learn from this book. And, and we're going we're gonna to dive into some of the, the theology, and we'll talk about some of it this morning. Um, but uh, I, I was really reintroduced to the main theme. I was really introduced to the main purpose of the book, and I think that we're all going to be helped um, and just a disclaimer, today we're really, we're dealing with, uh, if you look at it, we're, we're dealing with 16 and 17 today, really just verses 16 and 17, and we're going to talk about that, not in a vacuum, but as it relates to everything else, um, but when you go beyond verse 17, there's a shift, and so if you read, and, and I would encourage you to do this, read from 17 on to the end. And you're going to be like, whoa, how's pastor going to handle this next week? <laughs> when you read it, or how many have read all of chapter one and you know what I'm talking about? There's a few, only a few. Okay, so maybe today, sometime this week, open up your Bibles from, from chapter one, verse 17 to the end of the book. Um, it's going to be some stuff. And specifically calling out alternative lifestyles, right? And so... Uh, homosexual lifestyles and, and things of that, of that nature are addressed in it. And I would have always approached that from a perspective that is, that's the world. The end of the world is to 
without Christ be turned over to the worst of the worst is how we would view that as Christians. But upon further review, uh, upon digging in and more studying and more looking at it, I think what really throws us for a loop is the chapter divisions. I think the chapter divisions are not, they're there for us. They weren't there to begin with, right, in this letter, chapter 1, chapter 2. When he wrote this letter, it just continued. And so I will say this, the translators put a chapter division uh, really where it doesn't belong. And those are not inspired, right? Um, so I think next week we're going we're gonna to deal with what I believe is the whole section, which gets into chapter 2. And really what he's doing <laughs> is he's pulling two people groups in, a ch- in the church together, which we've already kind of talked about and we'll talk about a little bit more. Um, but he sheds light on their attitude and their posture toward each other. And so we're going to approach it from a new angle, a new perspective, if you will. Uh, For me, in the church setting, as far as not preaching that specific message the way that you would think it should be preached, uh, and man, I think it's going to be really, really helpful for us uh, to see it. If we're not careful, and this is kind of like just alluding to it, uh, if we're not careful we develop this like scarcity remnant mentality as Christians. We are us versus them. Especially when things start happening in the world that we are scared of, right? That we are like, where does this fit in in the end times or on the eschatological timeline of like, when is Jesus coming back and so on and so forth. But we become very separated in this instance. And we draw lines where we think we're better, where we think those things won't affect us to make ourselves feel better, to feel protected, to feel like those things don't apply to our family. But really, that's not what Paul is doing. He's not at all trying to create a cocoon for us to live in. He's trying to break down barriers so that the gospel can go further. And in our context, if you fast forward a couple thousand years, look at where we are. We're so isolated and protected, insulated rather. We're so insulated as Americans. What we have, what we see around us, we can create our own little bubble and stay in it as long as we want. And we can justify it as long as we want. But I would propose a different attitude I would propose that we break down those barriers and that we open up those cocoons. Uh, Like, remember Bugs Life? I'm a beautiful butterfly. (laughs) Remember that movie? Love that. This is like my favorite. It just came to my mind. Love that movie. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just a beautiful butterfly. Anyway, some of y'all need to grow your spiritual wings and it's time to fly a little bit. But this this is what's happening. You have presuppositions to what church should look like, what your friends should look like, what your dinner table should look like, who comes over, who gets in your circle, who doesn't. We just do. I think that's really at the heartbeat of what Paul is trying to teach us, what Paul is trying to help us with. And so uh, get ready for it. Um, Read ahead and... It's, I promise you it's not going to come from the angle that you're, that you're thinking, uh, but that's okay. All right, let's jump, jump in here. Uh, if you have the program, it should be right today. We check, double check, triple check, and if it's broken, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Last two weeks it's been off, and my apologies, but it, it should be right today. 
uh, as far as the notes. So we're continuing our journey here. And we'll double back to verse 13 and get a running start for 16 and 17. Let me pray one more time. Father, I pray that you would just be at the center of our worship this morning. Illuminate your word. Lead God. Direct us. Father, may we leave challenged, different, more like you. May we have the echo of what is to come in Romans chapter 12 as something of being transformed, Father. But as it begins, as this book begins to to work on our hearts, Father, I pray that you would just find us to be good soil this morning. Father, that's, that's my heart's prayer. Father, may we just be good soil for the seed to find and take root. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 13. Now, I don't want you to be unaware. What are the next three words? If you have your Bibles. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and brothers and sisters. Look, we can't take anything for granted in this book, in this passage. It's all there for a reason. Now, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often planned to come to you, but was prevented until now in order that I might have fruitful ministry among you just as I have had among the rest of the Gentiles, I'm obligated both to Greeks and who? Barbarians. Both to the wise and the what? The foolish or the unwise. So I am eager to preach the what? The gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then he gives the thesis statement, and let's read it. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. There is no shortage of commentaries and offerings on just those two verses alone. But I promise you, uh, there's some good things in here if we will commit to studying them. But here's what what, what I first want you to see. Verse 13 through 15, there is a family uh, sibling language that is used to describe what society would separate into different groups. Do you see it there in verse 13? Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. Now, Now, once again, I'm reviewing... Uh, just a little bit here, but to Rome, we believe that uh, Rome, this church in Rome was about five house churches, uh, small, if you think about what could fit in a house, and a few different locations here. Um, we'll get into who's reading this letter to these house churches a little bit later, but uh, we have tension. We have tension on the ground, and, and uh, real historical things that are available just with a little uh, Wikipedia search of why there's tension between the Jews and the Greeks in this region of Rome. But when you look at Paul, before he gives the thesis statement of really the entire book, 16 and 17, he lays the groundwork of brothers and sisters. I want you to know that I want to come and be with you And I desire to preach this message, what I'm about to introduce to you, to everybody. I desire to offer this message to both the Greeks and the barbarians. 
I desire to bring this message to everyone, probably people that, that you don't think will be able to receive it. The wise and the what? The foolish. What I'm bringing to you is, is so vitally important. It will cross boundaries. It will create its own family. It will form its own subgroups. And what you see, the constructs, uh, buckle up, the constructs that are around you, I will dismantle them with this message, with this news. This news will come into your home. Think about this. The Roman church, five Roman house churches, more than likely, 30 to 40 people. The most incredible work here uh, applying to the church today was written in that context. And we can't get our minds uh, when it comes to church and the gospel outside of this building. We can't get our minds uh, to wrap around the fact that this is something that should be so much per more personal than it is. The most important, incredible message of the most important news that we could receive is something that creates siblings, brothers and sisters. And I grew up in a tradition of church where everybody was brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. Anybody grow up in a church like that? And there's nothing wrong with that. But that's once again an American way of like, Churching this thing up. You're my brother. You're my sister. <laughs> sure hate her. <laughs> you sure don't like her. And the excuse would be, well, I don't really like my own sister, <laughs> right? If this is a family thing, it's going to get messier. But we see here, before he brings the, the most important thesis statement about the gospel in this book, he says, look, siblings, brothers and sisters. So let's get a wider, let's cast a wider net here. Um, well, uh, we'll get to it. Let's keep going. What we first have to see also in this chapter, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, for the righteousness, for in it the righteousness of God, that own statement right there is really loaded. But the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And this is, the word faith is the Greek word uh, pistis, where we're, we're talking about belief, Talking about elements of trust um, is, is kind of the, the connotations there with faith, from faith to faith. Um, and that's where, if you look at verse 16, to everyone who believes, that's from the same root word for faith. So if you, if you were to look at this in a Koine, a little Greek New Testament, you'd see the same pistis and a, a, a root uh, pistou, or a, another version of that for belief. So very similar words, belief and faith, even though in the English language, we, yes, we, we make connections and connect them, what belief and faith is, but like, it's a lot more of a connection in the original language. So it's that same idea that when people believe, when people accept this, when people trust in this, something is revealed in its nature, and then continue to look, it says right there in verse 17, the righteous will live by faith. Now, I've said this before. We just came from Habakkuk. Let me quote this for you. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one will live by faith. It's a direct quote from the book of Habakkuk. So when, when he's talking about this message, 
he is saying to the Jewish crowd in these house churches, he's summoning up from within, from the prophets, an echo from the past to say to them, this is what God was talking about when he was saying live by faith. This is, this is what he was referring to. So if you're sitting there and you're steeped in a certain tradition, the Jews, and someone quotes something that has been a mantra of your family for generations, you automatically go, huh? I know what he's saying. He just quoted Habakkuk in the middle of it. What's he doing? But you have to consider who Paul was. And we are, go back and listen to the first message. Paul knew the Torah. Paul knew the Old Testament way better than we do. <laughs> he probably had a lot of it memorized. From that perspective, Paul was saying, I get where you're coming from. But this is vitally important for us to become brothers and sisters with people who don't get where we're coming from. That's what, he, that's, that's what he's saying. Okay, so a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 4. Now, let's wade in the, the weeds here about the gospel specifically. Here's why I wanted to pull up today, and there's not a, a lot of content in today's message other than I want you to leave today going, I really get and understand what the gospel is. That's my goal. My goal is for you to say, okay, when I say the gospel, throughout this whole entire study, your mind is going to go to today's message. And your mind is going to interpret it according to what Paul meant when he talked about the gospel. So I think in order to do that, we look at some of the other letters that Paul wrote and passages where he framed this exact idea, which also tells us that he was consistent in his message to the churches, which is important. This is not something just isolated to these house churches in Rome. So here's similar wording. Remember also... Uh, and if you haven't listened to last week's message, go back and listen to last week's message where, where it talked about who Jesus is, son of David, yet son of God. Remember that language from the beginning for those of you that have walked through? Listen to Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and descended from David, according to my what? Gospel. Do you see that? According to my gospel. For which I suffer to the point of being bound like a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that I uh, also may obtain what? Salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is a, a direct passage of scripture that correlates with where we are in, in the book of Romans. And this is uh, in the pastoral epistles, 2 Timothy 2, 8 through 13. And here it is again in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through, 11, 1 through 11, listen to this. He says, now I want to make clear to you, brothers and what? Sisters. He, he's trying to establish this continuity, this family, this sibling language in all the churches. Now I want to make this clear for you, brothers and sisters. The gospel, there's that word again, right? The gospel I preached to you, which you received... <laughs> 
on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Do you see the language all around this word and term, the gospel of belief and placing? You took your what? Your stand on that. Everybody seeing this? This is the language that he's wrapping around what is to be created as a community, a faith community, a family. Let's continue. For I passed on to you as most important what I received. It's a message. It's news. News that he what? Heard, right? Most important that which I received. I love, and once again, I love this passage specifically in 1 Corinthians because this is a really good apologetic for you to help folks that don't believe. Listen to this scripture. Uh, for I passed on to you most important that which I, that I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Verse 4, that he was buried, raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, the twelve, and then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters all at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And that's literally what we said last week and the week before. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim so you have believed. So Paul is saying, uh, if you understand this message, you'll understand, yes, he appeared to all of those that were followers of his, but then after he appeared to 500 people with this message, what we're talking about this morning, this news, not only was it 500, not only was it uh, the inner circle, but it was to me, and I'm the least of these. If anything, I'm the opposite of who those people are. This gives me hope for people that don't believe. This gives me hope for people that, that literally are like, no, that's not for me. It wasn't for Paul either. As one born at the wrong time, as a fish out of water, this message is not a message that I would have accepted. I was a Jew. As touching the law blameless, I crucified him. Not only did I crucify him, I held the coats of Stephen. I was there to persecute every person that believed in him. Every person that declared their loyalty to him, I was there with resources from the Sanhedrin to kill them, lock them up, and put them away. As one born at a wrong time, when this news reached me, I had no choice but to accept it. We know the story. The Damascus Road experience. And I... Once again, go listen to that message, but the, the point is this. This news came to a variety of people at a variety of places, but Paul, it came to him for a specific purpose. And if you remember, Jesus, when, when he knocked him off his horse on the road to Damascus and struck him blind, he said, I'm going to use him, right, to reach the Gentiles. I'm going to pluck him from his Jewish family, his Jewish culture, his Jewish tradition, and I'm going to make this boy a Christian. And, and everybody, everybody that sees him coming 
with open hands, Paul lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, everybody that sees him coming is going to be like, holy cow, how did this happen? And here's what Paul says, here's how it happened, the good news. So what does that mean? These are the same, it's saying the same thing that it was said in Romans and Corinthians and in Timothy, right? Here's some observations. Let's jump back to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. We'll jump back into that. Let's, let's pull this apart here. Verse 16, it says, for I am not, does anybody know what that next word is? Ashamed. Turn to your neighbor and say, shame on you. Turn to your neighbor and say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. That's good. All right, just had to wet my whistle there. Man, y'all are ready to go to lunch already, aren't you? A rowdy bunch this morning. Paul said this in verse 16. He said, for I am not what? I'm not ashamed. This message that I'm going to give to you, it radically stripped my pride from me. You, you have to understand who I was, the chiefest of sinners, the one that persecuted, the one that would have never accepted this assignment. Never. And I'm not ashamed about it. Boy, give us the boldness of Paul. Look at it, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So let me ask this question. What would cause shame in this message? When I read that, I was like, okay. For I'm not ashamed. He says that to brothers and sisters, to siblings, this culture that he's trying to create here from the gospel, but he has to say to them, I'm not ashamed of what I'm about to say to you. Why would he have to say that? If you have to say, I'm not ashamed about that, then there's shame present. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's tension in the room. If, if I'm going to read this letter, Phoebe, st- I just gave it away, doggone it. Phoebe stands up to read the letter in the house church, and she says, uh, okay, uh, the words of Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. All right, you get it? It's the power of God to salvation. Keep reading. Watch it. It's the power of God for everyone who believes. Yes, to the Jew first, but also to the what? The Greek. What creates tension? Here's what I think. I think Paul says, because the power in this is that God made it for everyone. The power that is within this message is that this message is literally for what? Everybody. And Paul says, I'm not, I'm not scared, for sure. And I'm not ashamed of that. The things we don't say to people are because shame is present. The things you don't say to your spouse... The things you don't say to your kids, the things you don't say to your coworker, you don't say it because you're ashamed to say it. And Paul comes right out of the gate and he says, uh, I'm not ashamed to say this. Look, we have to be honest with ourselves with, with this book. If you're not honest about the message of this book, you're not going to get anything from this study. The truth is, there was racial tension in the room. That's the truth. Why does he keep saying to the Jew first and then also to the who? To the Greek. There was tension in the room. Brothers and what? Sisters. Huh. Guys, I'm not ashamed to tell you that this message 
the power in it is that it's for everybody. Can you imagine 2,000 years ago a message that would completely unify the world? Where would we be today? Well, we're in a better place, that's for sure, but where would we be today if the church actually embraced a message that was for everyone? And I don't mean this, and I, and I think politics, and, and I, you know, sometimes don't stay away from it as much as I should, but that really screws things up because I think that there are certain people groups that use this as a club to get done what they want to get done. And because we're loudest about it means that we're the right ones. That's not the case either. You see, Paul wasn't using this message. <laughs> he wasn't using this message as, as leverage to get what he wanted. He was giving of himself. And, and that's, that's really the crux of the gospel, is that this message goes to everyone, is for everyone, and it is our responsibility to treat everyone like brothers and sisters. That's the power in it. Church, it's time that we embrace the gospel for what the gospel is. It's time that we establish the fact that there's probably some shame in our game, one way, shape, or form, or another, because of some areas in our life that we need more sanctification in. We need more repentance in. We need more confession in. This isn't just racial. It's, and I, I, I read one author, he said this, if we just focus on the racial aspect, we diminish this as well. Right? This is more than just race. This is all-encompassing. This is the fact that you're preferring everyone at the same level. You're inviting everyone into your space at the same level. Consider that. There's power in that. I think that he says, I'm not ashamed because of the fact that it was made for everyone. And I don't think that's set well. Here's where the facts are, the facts on the ground. So I did a little digging in, in the historical nature of this. I alluded to it a little bit, I think, in the first week, but here are some facts to help shape your thinking about him specifically when he says this uh, to these house churches there in Rome. The Jews were expelled by the emperor in AD 49. So many think this is written around 59, 57 to 59. So Jews were expelled. The Jews were being faced with oppression and taxation. The Jews were holding on to the status of Torah-abiding children of God and were not budging on including Gentile believers that weren't facing the same hardships that they were facing. The Jews were still elevating their position in Christ based on a system and a race, Torah, law, the Mosaic law, more than a savior in his grace. The Jews were still elevating their position based on a system and a race more than a savior and his grace. The Gentiles were more affluent. They weren't legalistic at all and didn't see the need to abide by Torah. So this is the tension that was there. So consider this. Historically speaking, if Emperor Claudius sees 50,000 Jews coming into this uh, region of Rome, and he sees them gaining momentum and gaining strength, and he's like, uh-uh, I'm putting up with this. And he expels them out of Rome, 
And then over 10 years, they trickle back in. They assimilate back into society. From this perspective, we know that the, the church originated where? In Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, you really have a bunch of poor Jewish believers that are being persecuted and run, and they're being spread out. Remember our Corinthians study where Paul was going around raising money for poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem? Right, so you, you have a lot of Jews that spread from that first power of Pentecost when it fell, and they came from other regions and took the gospel message and the Holy Ghost back to areas uh, where they were living. But here's what's happening. You have Gentile people who are hearing this message, and they're going, yeah, I, that's amazing. Jesus did what? He appeared to who? He did what for me? I'm not finding uh, my, my faith and my substance in the gods of this world. I'm not seeing a difference. All I'm seeing with them is servitude. All I'm seeing with them is gifts so that they can get richer. There's a king of kings. There's a lord of lords. There's a Messiah that came and humbled himself and gave everything for me. That's Jesus. That's the one who was sacrificed. He died for me. Even though he didn't have to, he's willing to give me everything without me earning it? That's an incredible message. You mean he actually rose again? There's eyewitnesses. People saw it. Yeah. All you do is believe. All you do is put your faith, your, your pistis, your trust, your declared loyalty to him. And, and he fills you with his spirit. And he's healing people. And churches are exploding all over this region. This is incredible. But here's the Jew that says, I've known Yahweh for a thousand years. We've been struggling with this from the beginning. We were the real chosen ones. We were the first elect. The reason Jesus got here is because of the seed of David. And, and Paul says, hey, um, yes, you were the elect. Yes, you were chosen to be a part of the grand scheme of this thing, but it's not about you, it's about Jesus. It's not about the vehicle, it's about the cargo. It's not about the fact that you were how he came to this earth, it's the fact that he came, that he's here, and that he'll radically change anyone that believes in him. So that's the tension. We're here, we're in Rome, we're small house churches. These guys have been through it. They've been expelled. They come back, and Paul is writing to them. He's saying, listen, you all, even through Torah, I'm not telling you to do away with it. I'm not telling you to scrap it. There is incredible, and I believe it, there's incredible truths in the old covenant that are made and come to life in the new covenant. But you can't look at those new believers that don't know anything about where you come from as being lesser than you. And that's what they were doing. Why? Because they had chips on their shoulders. They'd been displaced. They'd been hurt. And then there was more taxation coming at them to keep them in, in check. So imagine a Gentile comes walking, walking into a house church and sits down. And he's like, yeah, man, I just heard about this this week. This is pretty amazing stuff. It's called the gospel, the good news. And they're like, you don't know anything. You're uncircumcised. What are you talking about that for? Woo! <laughs> right, I'm going to try the house church down the road. You know what I'm saying? We're going to try that one out where they don't talk about my pee-pee like that. 
Pastor, that's out of line. Have you read the New Testament? I'm just saying. Circumcision was a topic of conversation. <laughs> okay, maybe I crossed the line a little bit. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> There's a new sign. There's a new sign for the covenant, and it's not circumcision. It's baptism. There's a new covenant sign, and it's not about keeping the Torah. It's about putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's about believing what, and, and honestly, what self-respecting Jew could say that they did it right? How many times were they exiled? How many times did they go in captivity because of their disobedience? But yet, they're better than. Look at me. That is what Paul is addressing in this letter. Yes, it was to the Jew first. God had to choose a nation, and, and boy, did he, and we're thankful for it. But it's also to the Greek. Listen, this message, we have to see this as a message for everyone. What does this do? I, I really want you to internalize this this morning. We have our own sets of shame, and we have our own sets of caste system and separation with economic status and jobs and where we're at. We do it. We do it. And we have to fight against it. We have to fight against it. Let's put a bow on this thing. Those were the facts on the ground. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I want to give you this word. The gospel comes from the Greek word euangelion. It simply means good news, good tidings. Good news concerning the now, listen to this, good news concerning the now, present, instantiation or representation of Jesus' divine dominion and way of salvation by his death and resurrection. I'm going to say it again. The good news is the now present, let's say it this way, it's the now present installation of King Jesus vicariously through his death, burial, and resurrection that now offers salvation to everyone. It's the kingdom of God coming to earth. The, the good news is that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And this is something that we're going to unpack richly through the book of Romans. We're just dipping. The, today's message on the gospel is taking our shoes off and just dipping our feet in the pool. How many are ready for spring? Come on now. That one little word, pool, just incited all kinds of flowers and days of sunshine. We're just dipping our feet in the pool this morning. It's the good news. Some of y'all need to remind yourself that it's not called the bad news. I think most Christians, it's like, sometimes I feel like we come to church and we think that we're saved because of bad news. That's how people act. How are you doing? Good. Why are you so good? Everything's great. Life's wonderful. Are you saved? Yes. Gloriously. <laughs> what are you saved from? Hell. <laughs> what are you living in right now? Heaven. People have forgotten what this news means. We're so spooled rotten. The challenge of, I think, the challenge, the greatest challenge that I have as pastor of Bethlehem Church in Middle River, Maryland, 
is just getting people excited about the good news. Because we have so many things that get us excited. We can't get excited about the fact that we're like in the upper crust of humanity on this rock called the earth. We're so spoiled. You come to the lowest of the low. You come to the Gentile believer who's striving and trying. And you're like, here's the good news. And they're like, yes, this is amazing. And the Jews are like, we've been doing this for thousands of years. Buckle up, buttercup. You ever heard of manna? <laughs> been in this thing for a long time. <laughs> Break out the band, honey in the rock. <laughs> anyway, love that song. <laughs> I'm a hot mess today. We have, to, we, have to, we have to figure this out for ourselves. Where has the gospel not become good for you? Okay, I have three questions for you. I've beat this drum. I thought I was going to get done early. Sorry, y'all. What's the issue? What is the issue? I think of that moment in the, you know, in the Frozen movie. My kids were really into that for a while with where uh, Anna and uh, what was his name? Kristoff, he takes her to meet his family, the trolls, right? And then Mama Troll was like, what's the issue, dear? Why are you holding back from such a man? Anybody watch it, right? Frozen, the three of us. Love that, love that movie. What's the issue, church? If the gospel is the good news, if it's for everybody, then why aren't we embracing this? Can you honestly say that you're embracing the gospel, the young Gilead, the good news of what Jesus has done? Can you honestly say that you're embracing it to its fullest in your life? I know I'm not. I know I, knew, I, know I need more. So the issue is that there's two kinds of people here. The issue is that we deal with different kinds of people. The issue is that life is not perfect. Jesus has not come back yet. You still have to go to work on a Monday morning, right? This is the issue. I just want everything to be good, right, to the person who's unhappy. That's not life. It's really not. That's not the good news. Here's the thing, what I'm getting at. It would be better... If it's better news for you that you won the lottery than you having the gospel, then something's off. If you have to be like, well, uh, <laughs> maybe, no, 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 gospel. If there's any moment of like, <laughs> our priorities are so out of whack. They're so out of whack. We're striving for what? The kingdom of God has already been given to us. It's already been prepared. Why are we so focused on external properties when it's an internal kingdom working its way out? Point number one, have you experienced personally the good news of Jesus? I'm just rattling your cage a little bit this week. That's all. Next week's going to be worse. <laughs> have you experienced personally, and here, here's my, it, it won't be too much of a, an altar call today, but I'll say this, if you're watching online and you've never experienced Jesus personally, send us a message. We'll help you do that. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come down front and, and ask. Ask me, ask Steve, ask Mike, ask one of our, anybody. We'll tell you how, how you can go to heaven. But if you have experienced Jesus personally, then something should change. Underneath that thought, I put this, have you been delivered from something? Have you been delivered from something? 
Here's my follow-up question to that. Do you see your need? Have you experienced personally the good news of Jesus? If it's the power of God, if the good news, if the message of what Jesus did is for you, have you experienced it? If you have, then every day is a new day. Every dawn is a new sunrise. They that be in Christ are new creatures, new creations. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten what the gospel means to us? So I would ask this. Have you been, you know what the word salvation means? It means deliverance. Have you been delivered from anything? Do you celebrate that? Do you talk about that? That change? When people talk about how God's not real, I'm just like, okay. Maybe not to you, but he's, he's alive and well in here. Like, like a lot. We talk. Like people would think I should be medicated for schizophrenia because of how much I talk to myself. It's just me and the Lord. If you've experienced something, remind yourself that that's the good news. What's the gospel? It's your personal experience with Jesus. That's what it is. Your experience. This is just, you know, church is just so up here. No, it's not. If you go somewhere and it's up here, leave. <laughs> it should be down here and in there. It's a personal thing. Paul said this is for everyone. And if we read and we study this book and we feel like we don't get it, get around somebody that does and you'll get it. It'll come. It's a, sorry. It's a personal relationship with the Lord. Have you experienced something? Number two, have you considered that God wants to reveal himself to you? When it comes to this study and, and this truth, have you considered that it is the righteousness of God revealed, Paul said. Go and read 16 and 17. Again, I've been chewing on this thing all week, Miss Grace. All week I've been gnawing on this verse. I've been like, whoa. The good news is that God is revealing himself in my sanctification, in my being set apart for his goodness, for his glory. He's revealing himself so what that doesn't work is when a jew is like yeah it's all about torah paul's like no he wants to come and manifest himself in your life not a bunch of rules church has god revealed himself to you is it stagnant and i'm just as guilty as the next person where when i read and i talk about the gospel it just becomes an experience of the past no 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 it's revealed from faith to faith. God wants to reveal himself. How many of you can say, don't raise your hand, he revealed himself in me this week. And if he's never revealed himself in you, listen, that's the challenge. God worked through what? Me. Paul put it this way, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you, he will perform it. He will finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. Have you considered that God wants to reveal himself in you? Number three, oh, wait, 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 a sub point under that. Have you given God the opportunity? Have you given God the opportunity to reveal himself? Let's go back to question number one. Have you been delivered from anything? I see an opportunity. 
I see an opportunity for the Lord to reveal himself in your life. If you are struggling with something right now, you say, I'm saved, the Lord saved me, I'm going to heaven, but I just have this thing that I can't get past, that's salvation too. The Lord doesn't give you a golden ticket and say, see an eternity when it's your time. Uh Uh-uh. This is a process. It's a new path, a new way that he is going to use you to reveal himself. He is to get the glory. So, okay, are you struggling with something? The gospel will work in you so that you're delivered and the Lord is seen. Okay, all right, I'm really excited about that. Number three, and final, have you put stipulations, slants, or spins on this news story? If the young Gilead means good news, is there a news network? I'm sorry, I've gone a couple minutes over here. Is there a news network that isn't slanted today? Is there anywhere to get reliable information? No. We're conditioned to think that everything needs a spin on it. Let me help you with something, church. The gospel doesn't need a spin. Let me, let me tell you, <laughs> this is how God works. This is how God works in your religion, in your system, in your structure, in your church. No. No. This is for everyone. If you're a Jew, great. If you're a Gentile, great. If you're coming from that background, great. If you're coming from that background, great. He'll meet you, he'll deliver you, and he'll reveal himself in you. What's what's number three? What slant are you putting on this news? Stop it. It is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. What's the good news? It's the death, bound resurrection of who? Let me just tell you how good I am since finding the Lord. Just walk a day in my shoes. He's so good. There's a a borderline arrogance sometimes to our sanctification. And it should be humility. Paul was like, whew, I'm not a good guy. I thought I was doing good things before, but I really wasn't. We'll get a lot further with just bearing the, the stripped down version of the truth than trying to add all of our fluff to it. It's like some people trying to get saved is like turning on Fox News for the good news from us or turning on CNN. It's like Jesus is like maybe in there an eighth where the truth is somewhere. Look, let's just give it to him right from here. Jesus plus what? Nothing. Ask yourself this question. Am I adding something to the gospel this morning? Why am I doing that? I don't need to add anything to this message. It's good enough the way that it is. It's already good news. Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at Bethlehemchurch.cc. And also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description. And we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.